Thank you so much, worship team. I don't know if you know how much work they put into these things. They come on Saturdays. They practice for many hours. They uh, Off uh, from the church, they're looking at different songs and trying to collect uh, just the right combination of them to help us worship the Lord. And so I hope that you uh, appreciate that and that you would go to them after the service and just thank them uh, for their good ministry for the Lord. Thank you so much. You know, one of the most uh, formidable challenges that believers face is what happens in the places where they work, learn, and play. Okay? Um, countless times I've met with people and they've told me stories of how uh, co-workers, classmates, and even teammates uh, may have behaved in a very hurtful way to them. And so it seems to be a common problem. Uh, they'll recount to me stories of betrayal, Stories of cheating, stories of jealousy, stories of malicious gossip and and slander. All of these things happen in these places where we are, aren't they? And so they create a tremendous challenge to us. Uh, Sometimes the emotional and physical uh, wear and tear really takes a heavy toll on us. We may not always admit it, but it does. It wears upon us. Now, for the believer, it becomes even more dangerous because there actually can be a spiritual toll as well. Uh, For example, uh, sometimes believers will say that they've been under so much pressure at work and so many hurtful things have happened uh, that it has caused them to lose heart. And so they just say, I just don't want to go to work anymore. I just don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want to even see these people anymore because they've just been fed up with everything that's been going on. And then perhaps sometimes uh, there is a sense of, um, of uh, 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 losing heart with the Lord. And so people will say, you know, but I prayed to the Lord. I, I asked the Lord to deliver me from this. I, I asked the Lord to give me more patience. I asked the Lord to do this and to do that. And it just seemed like he's not hearing me or he's just taking his sweet old time, you know. And so we lose heart in these things. We become frustrated. We become fatigued. And we become faint-hearted. And so this becomes a real challenge to each and every one of us in the places uh, that we find ourselves in. So I suppose the question that comes about is, uh, that we're all asking then, is how are believers to respond to all of this adversity that they may face at the office or school or uh, on the playing field? Uh, For example, uh, the believer might say, should I strike back in like kind? I mean, should I do unto others as they do unto me or do unto others before they do unto me? (laughs) You know, it's that kind of feeling. And yet in the back of our minds, there's the thoughts that uh, God has shared with us through his word, uh, such as in uh, Romans chapter 12. There's not a slide on this, so I don't want the uh, audiovisual guy to go crazy. In Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21 It says, never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, do we strike back? Uh We've got to find another way. And then perhaps the idea would be, well, we can't strike back, but maybe we can shrink back. We can shrink back. And uh, we shrink back in fear and allow uh, people to just walk all over us. Is that what we're supposed to do? Well, the scripture seems to say otherwise. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so we are to respond, not by striking back, and we're not to shrink back either. And so trying to maintain this balance in the midst of the adversity that we face can be pretty challenging at times. And if we're not careful, we can let it wear us down. We can let it wear us down. Now, that's why the spiritual lessons that we learn from Daniel's life are priceless. They're priceless. Because as we watch his life, we find a very special person. We find a man of God who constantly lived out of the frying pan and in the fire that surrounded him. Most of us would be content with staying in the frying pan, right? But not Daniel. He was always in the fire. He was always in the fire. Some, many times, not by his choice, but by the very plan of God. And so if you find yourself in the frying pan, wherever you are, this message is for you. God may be speaking to you right this very minute, and he's telling you, it's okay. It's okay. Listen to what God has to say. Let's pray together. Father, this is a very special time in your week for us. It's a time where we can come around your word We can mutually try to encourage one another. We can come around your word and, Father, we can hopefully beseech your spirit to come and speak to us in ways that address the very needs of our heart. And so this morning, Lord, we find ourselves needy. We find ourselves wanting. We find ourselves in a position that, Lord, we want to hear from you. So speak to us there, Lord, through the life of your servant, Daniel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Daniel, and we're now up to chapter 6. And today, we're not going to go through the whole chapter of six, uh, chapter 6, but we're going to go just from verses 1 to 15. So, open your Bibles in whatever form you have it, and uh, follow along with us as we go through this together. As we look in this, we want to start off, first of all, with the setting. With the setting. And the setting is this, is that, When his homeland was conquered by the mighty uh, Babylonian Empire, Daniel was among many teenagers who was forcibly relocated to Babylon to serve the empire. And so you can imagine what that must have been like. Here is a young man, and he's taken forcibly away from his home, away from all his loving loved ones, and he's forced to go to a completely foreign land. But that's exactly what happened. And Daniel was, uh, had extreme gifts, skills, and abilities, and he rose quickly in the ranks of the government. In fact, they was told that he was a very special person. How special was he? Well, if we look at Daniel chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, this is one description of Daniel, and it stands out. There are many descriptions of him, but this was one of them that stands out. Daniel chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. There is a man in your kingdom in whom a spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father illumination, insight and wisdom like wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father or grandfather and your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurer, Chaldeans and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit Knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. 
And so with these extreme skills and gifts, Daniel rose up very quickly in the ranks of the, uh, of the government. And he occupied very important uh, places. But we get to, the, to this chapter, and we know that we were in chapter 5 last week. And we find that in the very last days of Babylon, that at the ripe old age of 80 years old, Daniel was called upon again. He was called upon again. In fact, he was so successful that he was given the position of being the third ruler of the nation. Only behind the, the, the king and the king's son, then came uh, Daniel. He became the third ruler. But this promotion was short-lived. Why? Because that very night, he got promoted in the afternoon, and by that night, the king was dead. <laughs> he was slain. He was killed. And the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered Babylon. So he was third ruler for all of what? A few hours, if you will. But he nevertheless, he rose up. And that puts us in a very, that puts us in a very special place because we can ask the questions. What would happen to Daniel now? What would happen to him now? Would he be killed by his new masters? What did God have in store for Daniel? Was there still a role for Daniel in God's plans and purposes? Well, let's see what happens. Let's look at the story. Look at, uh, turn with me back then to Daniel chapter 6, starting with verses 1 to 5. And we find that there was, an, there was advancement. There was advancement. And this advancement came in the form of a promotion and also in the form of an examination. Promotion, verses 1 to 3, it says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, and they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. This then, Daniel this, uh, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because the, he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Wow. Talk about advancements. This is incredible here, right? Darius is probably a title more than it is a name. And it was probably for that person who was put in charge of this area of Babylon uh, by King Cyrus. And so it involved appointing 120 royal appointees that would help administrate the country. But the king was smart. The king was smart because he just didn't leave everything in the hands of 120 people. But he installed three commissioners over the top of them to oversee them. And that's where Daniel was. Daniel was one of the big three. Daniel was one of the big three. And so uh, Daniel began to distinguish himself. He separated himself from the rest of the herd. So much so that the king wanted to appoint him over the whole kingdom. You know, this Daniel is just amazing. It didn't matter if it was a new king or an old king. He just somehow rose to the occasion and he would be advanced. So there was this promotion. But least we think that promotions are all there is to life. With promotion came examination, okay? And this examination took part, was, was uh, done by his co-workers, nonetheless. And so they started investigating him. Look at verse 4. 
Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could not find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then as you look further in verse 5, you see that they were searching for vulnerabilities and weaknesses and they found it. In verse 5, then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. In other words, they couldn't get him on any, on, on any corruption or any you know, in, uh, inability or ineptness. They couldn't get him on any of that. But they could get him on grounds of his faith. Daniel's faith in God, the God of the Bible, was so strong and so deep that that's where the weakness would come. In some areas, Daniel's faith and commitment to God were in direct conflict with the kingdom's pagan idol worship. That was where they were going to get him. So the first part in this story then is this wonderful advancement. Or is it not so wonderful advancement? Let's continue with the story. Because the second part of the story happens in verses 6 through 13. There came adversity. Adversity. And this came in the form of, first of all, a conspiracy. Look at verses 6 to 9. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors were consulted to have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. So there was this conspiracy, and this conspiracy involves lies in verse 6 through 7. Notice here that when they went to the king, they said, all of us have gotten together. All of us gotten together. I know of one who wasn't there, who wasn't there. Who wasn't that wouldn't have agreed with this? Daniel. Daniel wasn't part of this. But they were all together in this against Daniel. It involved the law. Now, the significance of the law in verses 8 through 9 is that once it was signed, it couldn't be revoked. In other words, no one was above the law. Once the law had been established, it would be equally applied to everyone. And so this law became uh, the injunction. It was, became the practice of the land. But the conspiracy also faced some consistencies. Consistency on whose part? Well, on Daniel and also the conspirators. If you look at verses 10 through 13... In 10 through 11, you find Daniel responding to all this. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his 
as he had been doing previously. Then it says in verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Daniel was consistent. Throughout the years of his life, he prayed to God. Not once, not twice, but three times a day he would do that. And he did it all in the open. He continued doing that. He was consistent. But the conspirators were also consistent too. They continued to remind the king of what had happened. Look at verse 12. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Boy, they really were after Daniel. They kept reminding the king over and over and over again. Remember the law you signed? Remember the fact that nobody is supposed to make prayers, offer prayers or petitions before anybody but you? There's this guy, Daniel. He's doing this, not once, not twice, but three times a day. He was violating the king's law. So there came with this advancement tremendous adversity, tremendous adversity. And then the last part of the story falls into the category of anguish or pain or grief. Look at verse 14 through 17. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and his mind on deliver and he and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him, he says. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persian that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Notice the, the anxiety here of the king. I'm not sure exactly why he was so anxious. The scriptures are silent about this, but nevertheless, he was deeply moved. And he did everything in his power, everything humanly possible to try and save Daniel's life, but to no avail. What did the conspirators do? Maybe they were anxious too. Maybe they were worried. The king might find a way. <laughs> you know, Daniel might slip through this. He might, you know, he might just about get through this thing. So we got to go back and remind the king again that he can't change the law. And so that's what they ended up doing. The adversity caused by the conspirators brought deep distress and pain and anguish to those who knew Daniel for who he really was. Now, there are many special lessons that can be learned here. There perhaps that some, some of these uh, parts of the story you can identify with. Perhaps some of you who are sitting out there right now are facing some kind of uh, joyful advancement, but you're feeling on the side that there's some adversity involved. And maybe perhaps you're going through some anxiety and you're going through some anguish and you're wondering how this is all going to turn out. God is speaking to you. God has a message for you. What would that be? Well, spiritual lessons for daily living 
come in many different forms. And there's, we only have time to go over a few. And so I want to just share th- uh, three of them with you. The first one is that advancement brings out the best and the worst. Okay? Advancement brings out the best and the worst. Advancement has a way of shining the spotlight on the best of people and also the worst of people, all at the same time. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay? First of all, the best. The best is exemplified by Daniel. Okay? The best is exemplified by Daniel. If we go back and read verses 3 and 4 again, it said this, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could not find uh, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Now, why was it that Daniel was this way? Why was it that he was so special? Why, why was it that he's so squeaky clean, <laughs> so to speak? Well, if you turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, this is who is the source of all this. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. God was the source of all of his abilities. And that was why he was able to rise up as fast as he did. But when we come to Daniel chapter 6, we find a different description of Daniel. You know what it is? It's one that highlights and spotlights his character and his conduct. We're not talking about abilities here, folks. We're talking about his character and his conduct, both of which were exemplary. They couldn't find any negligence. They couldn't find any corruption in this guy. All right? They couldn't find it. His character and his conduct were of the first order. He was blameless before them. So they had to find some other way to get the goods on him. They had to find some other way to bring him down. What's the point? It is important to God that our lives reflect both holy character and conduct. That we be blameless. That we be blameless. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 3, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, this is the word of the Lord to God's people. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. There's the character. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you have slandered those You are slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. There's the conduct. There's the conduct. God really holds great value to both a uh, a holy character and conduct. So this might lead us to maybe summarize it this way. So whether we are recognized or promoted or not, We ought to be the best and do the best we can. 
when we can. You see, that pleases God. That pleases God. It's character and conduct. They go hand in hand. It is not, it is, it is and both. It is not either or. It is and both. If you're going to be working on something where you work, and you're saying to yourself, how come I don't get advanced? How come I don't? I certainly have the ability. Then maybe God is saying to you, how about the character and the conduct? Maybe that is the area that God wants to strengthen. Advancement has a way of spotlighting or bringing out the best and the worst. Well, how about the worst? How about the worst? The worst is demonstrated by Daniel's co-workers. Daniel's co-workers. Now, at first glance, you would say, oh, 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 they look familiar. I got people I'm working with like that. <laughs> you know, I got people I go to school with that are like that. I have teammates on the, on the field just like, the, just like these guys, all right? But how did they get that way? How did they get that way? Well, Romans chapter 1 has a very good explanation of this. And so if you turn to Romans chapter 1, this is what we find. We find this... Uh, this uh, uh, decline of mankind. We find this evilness in mankind. And this is how it started. In verse 21, we don't have time to read the whole uh, chapter, chapter 1, but Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's their character, you see. Their hearts became dark. They became evil. Well, how evil did they go? In verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For the for degrading passions, it says. And so that's how, I mean, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And then in verses 28 through 32, there's a summary of how bad their heart had gone. This is the... Humanity that has not embraced God. It does not honor God. It does not recognize God. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So you say to yourself, how can co-workers be like this? If they don't know Christ, it's because their hearts have been darkened. They carry with them this evilness within their heart. And so that's why they can do the things that they do. Now, those who have not yet accepted God's offer of salvation from the penalty and power of sin are still under this Sinful domination. That's, that's what guides them. This is what the standard by which they will go, the standard of the world. 
Are believers totally clear of such tendencies? The scripture says no. Why? Because we still have the sin nature within us, and we have to do battle with it. But we at least have the potential of freeing ourselves from it. We can be different. We can be changed. Well, Pastor, how do you know that? If you turn to Romans chapter 6, Paul gives this very encouraging exhortation. And this is meant for all the believers in here who may be struggling with these same tendencies. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin and in, as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, that is the hope of the believer. He says, yes, I fight these tendencies, just like the person who doesn't know God. But I have the potential of changing. I have the means and the potential of changing. And so, when you think about these things, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you want to be delivered from these things, you can if you'll accept Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross and rose again from the grave for your sins. And then you become a part of the family of God and the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in your life and then comes, and then comes the change, the transformation. So Daniel's advancement was the stage for mankind to exercise what is in its heart, both the good and the bad. That's an important lesson for us to learn. The second important lesson follows. Adversity brings clarity. Adversity brings out clarity. What do I mean by that? Well, adversity clarifies the issues. It clarifies the issues. But it also clarifies the answer to the issue. And so when you look at the issue, God brings adversity internalized to make us uh, uh, make the, the items before us much clearer. Um, I was thinking a while back and I woke up this morning, guess what? There's haze. <laughs> Went to bed last night, there's haze. And it's very much like how believers live in this world, right? Very few things seem to be black or white. Very few things seem to be day or night, right? And so we live in this haze, this moral and spiritual haze, you see? But you know what? Adversity has a way of clarifying things and making things stand out. God brings adversity in our lives to make the issue clearer. But he also brings adversity to clarify the answers. How does this work out? If you go back to Daniel chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 11. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered this house. Now in front of his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his father as he had been doing previously. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. The issue was clarified. His response had to be clear. There was no middle ground. There was no rationalizing. There was no backing away. There was no, you know, double talk. He had to make a choice. He knew the document was signed. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. 
The windows were open for everyone to see. He continued kneeling three times a day. He continued praying and giving thanks before the before his God as he had done before. And he and we find Daniel making petition and supplication before his God, as it should be, as it should be. Now, while believers don't like adversity or go looking for it, God allows it into our lives. Why? So that the issues of our lives and our choices in life can be much clearer. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 5, you remember that account of the apostles were preaching and they were called up before the high council? They were called up before the high priest. And the high priest said to them, you guys got to stop this. You got to stop. If you don't stop it, it's going to be very bad for you. What was the answer of the apostles? The apostles get answers contained in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And verse 29. And what did they say? But Peter, the apostle, answered, we must obey God rather than men. The adversity highlighted the issue very clearly. They had to answer back very clearly. Adversity has a way of doing that for us. As it has a way of clarifying the issues and the answers in our life. Now, the third thing that we ought to learn from this is that anguish brings faith to the forefront. And this is seen by the reactions of the three major players in this uh, story. Look at the king's reaction in verse 14. Verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Wow. He's experienced so much grief and sorrow and pain of losing such a good, loyal person. Now, the scriptures are silent as to why exactly the king was so enthusiastic about trying to save Daniel. Now, if I can just use your sanctified imagination and mine as well. Perhaps it was all those nights they stayed up late at night trying to figure out some real complex way to govern the kingdom. And so they're sitting there, they're bouncing off ideas between the two of them. Daniel comes up with his and the king says, oh, why didn't I think of that? Oh, yeah, that was, that's a great idea. That's a solution to the problem. And so him and Daniel developed this close bond between each other. Maybe perhaps Daniel made some decisions unilaterally on his own, and it saved the king's bacon. It saved the king from troubles. It saved him from all kinds of, 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 of harm and criticism. Daniel took it upon himself. I said, Daniel, man, you're a, real, you're a real friend. You're the one person I can count on. These other guys, I don't know, man. You know, they're bribed. The, the price is right. They'll just jump. But you, Daniel, I can really count on. Whatever his reasons were, the king gave it 110%. He gave it 110%. He didn't know God. He didn't know anything. He didn't know. He, he, he didn't have a personal relationship with God. But he and nevertheless wanted very much to save Daniel. But he couldn't. What about the conspirators' reaction? Verse 15. Here we go again. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O God, that it is the law 
of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Again, perhaps they were a little anxious. They were worried that the king might find a way. And so they went to the king and said, we got to put a stop to this. Oh, king, remember you signed it. It's law and it can't be changed. And so there was that reaction. Now, look at the reaction of Daniel. But more so, the no reaction by Daniel. The no reaction. Daniel disappears. We don't hear from him again until they remove the rock and they see him in the lion's den. He, his silence is deafening. His silence is absolutely deafening. Don't you think it would have been an opportune time for Daniel to maybe give an explanation or a, a exhortation such as his three friends did back in Daniel chapter 3 when they were facing the fiery furnace? Wouldn't that have been appropriate at this time? Look at what they said in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But Daniel said nothing. Daniel didn't say anything. Now, it may be an argument from silence. Maybe perhaps God, maybe God assumed that readers like us would already know the outcome based upon Daniel's consistent spiritual walk with God. And so well, there was no need to, you know, to, uh, to, to uh, record his response. But there was no response. What do we learn from this? God's deliverance doesn't always come quickly or smoothly or the way we expect it. Because he is sovereign, it is his call. And I choose to believe that based upon Daniel's past record, that's what he rested on. That Daniel was just saying, there's nothing to say. It's God's call. God is sovereign. He knows what's going on, and he's going to decide. A consequence of God's timing and planning when we and people around us may have to experience a lot of anguish, pain, and, and agony. All this sets the stage for God's glory. As believers, do not be dismayed when anguish and agony are part of God's plan. We already know from Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter, two, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that we will all suffer persecution if we choose to live godly lives. That's what it says in 2 Timothy Chapter uh, 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so our boss may not be able to save us as much as he likes us. Maybe perhaps the co-worker where you work or the classmate that you are is unable to help you at this time. It's God's call. I imagine a situation where Daniel is there Daniel looks at the king, the king looks at Daniel, and the king goes, I can't help you. I'm fresh out of ideas. I'm fresh out of tricks in my bag. I've called in every favor. 
And there's nothing I can do. Pain, agony, brings faith to the forefront. Because that was probably all that Daniel had left, was his faith in God. That was it. That was it. You see? And so God uses this as a way of highlighting the value of faith in him. It brings faith front and center to the very front. At first reading, it might look like Daniel was the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right? I mean, think about it for just a moment. He could have, he, if this is the first year of Darius's reign, right? This, this would have been an opportune time for Daniel to submit his, submit, his, resig, his resignation and his retirement papers. He says, King Darius, you're the new man on the block. You're the new sheriff in town. Hey, you need a clean slate. You got younger men here. You go ahead and take it off. He's 80 plus years old. He could have enjoyed his 65 years, approximately, of exemplary civil service. He could have sat back and and rested on his legendary reputation. Yet God had other plans for Daniel. God was about to introduce himself to the Medes and the Persians through Daniel. And so you might be feeling right at this very minute, you're the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. And God says to you, "Uh uh-uh, you're the right person in the right place at the right time. Because through you, I'm going to introduce God to everybody else in that place. See? God can use all of these things. He can use advancement. He can use adversity. He can use anguish. He can use all of that to accomplish his plans and purposes. A promotion to rule over an entire kingdom? No big deal. A plot to to destroy him as a person? No big deal. Enough pain and anxiety along the way to emphasize God's power and might? No problem. All of this can be a part of God's sovereign plans for an individual and for a nation and for a church as well. So as you think about what is going on in your life right now. As you think about what's happening in your life, think about Daniel. How did he get through this? How did he get through this? Now, for the end of the story, you have to come back next week because we'll cover verses 16 on through the end of the chapter. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And, Father, we can draw great strength and encouragement from that. And perhaps there is many people in this audience tonight, today, who are in that very predicament. And they are struggling. They are hurting. Father, may your word be an encouragement to them today. Thank you again, Lord, for the life of Daniel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.